focus on, you know, you're not bound to anything, but just kind of what's your current thinking. And, you know, back in May, before I'd put any thought or anything into it, I thought, well, you know, I don't know, maybe listening prayer. That might be sort of interesting. I don't really know very much about listening prayer. I'd kind of like to um, learn a little bit about that. And in the uh, weeks that have passed since that time, I learned and read and uh, did a little study on listening prayer and did a little bit of listening and praying myself. And this sermon has gone an entirely different direction. But what I have seen over and over and over again in email blasts and bulletins and newsletters and everywhere you look is this list of what people are going to be praying, what people are going to be preaching on over the summer. And Holly Hayashida, listening prayer, Holly Hayashida, listening prayer, I saw over and over again. And as I got closer and closer and was realizing more and more that this, this sermon really wasn't going to be specifically on listening prayer, I felt nervous because I thought, I wonder how many people come like with a particular interest in mind. So if you've come today to learn all there is to know about listening prayer, I am afraid you will be disappointed. But I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit has led and that there is a message here um, that will be useful to you. We have been in a series on prayer and um, particularly on uh, learning from some of the giants of the faith, um, different techniques, different approaches to prayer. Uh, And today we are focused on the Apostle Paul, certainly one of the giants of the faith, who has some things to teach us about prayer in his letter to the uh, Philippian church. And um, he talks about prayer really as more than just something we do, but almost a way of life. There's almost a breathing in and breathing out that Paul seems to bring to this teaching on prayer. And so we want to take a look this morning at um, a, a section from the Philippian letter and, um, and see what we can glean from this passage. Before we turn to Scripture, let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, lead us. May we hear your message this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise— Think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. When you read the letter to the Philippians, Paul loves this church. He, um, and I would encourage you to read the whole letter. We're focused on just a few verses. 
But Paul loves this church, and you can read the whole letter in a very short period of time. It's easy to do. And you get a sense that, that um, these are folks that are really important to Paul, and um, he calls them beloved. He's very encouraging. He's sort of fatherly in some respects. But it's also very clear that there's a good bit of division and conflict in this church. There's conflict between individuals. There is doctrinal disagreements. There, there's questioning of motives. There's, some, there's conflict that goes on in the church at Philippi. And it reminds me, it's a lot like a lot of churches that I'm familiar with, some that I've been a part of. Conflict in churches seems to be a pretty consistent theme. Um, you know, it's probably a part of our human nature that there's a certain amount of, of disagreement and conflict that takes place. But Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, he sort of waves that away. He seems to not, you know, he acknowledges but he doesn't seem to be too interested on focusing on the things that divide the church. He seems to be wanting to focus their attention on the center, which is Christ. And it, it struck me that I was reminded when I was reading this and thinking about how Paul is really trying to focus them on Christ and not on the things that divide them. It reminded me of something I learned a while back that was quite helpful, and that is that sociologists say that groups are either defined by a center or they are defined by a boundary. And this is really true, apparently, of basically every group, that it's either a center-based group or a boundary-based group. For example, Giants fans are a center-based group. Giants fans are rich and poor, they are black and white, they are Republican and Democrat, they, they have a lot of, they're different in all kinds of ways, but what they have in common is that they love the Giants. And they may have some behaviors in common, like, you know, perhaps they have a closet full of black and orange clothes, but they're not, they're not Giants fans because they own, own orange clothes. They own orange clothes because they are Giants fans, and really that is the only reason to own, own anything orange. <laughs> Citizenship is an example of a boundary group. You are either an American or you are not an American, depending on which side of a particular boundary you are on. If you're an American, it's because you were born on American soil, or one of your parents was an American, or you took a, an oath of citizenship, and you became an American, and now you're inside the boundary, and if you didn't do one of those things, you're not an American. And it's clear. There are clear boundaries. It occurred to me that churches can be either center-based groups or boundary-based groups. I came to faith, as some of you know, in what we would sort of refer to, I think, as a fundamentalist tradition. Um, I was 13 years old, and I came to faith in a very conservative uh, type of church, and while there were many um, people who loved Christ in that church, it was very much, or at least the message I took from it, was this was a boundary-based group, that Christians had lived within certain boundaries, and if you did not live within those boundaries, you were not a Christian. So, for example, I learned that Christians did not have sex outside of marriage. That was a big one that they emphasized with us teenagers. <laughs> we, um, you did, you tithed to the church, you uh, voted, when the time came, you voted Republican, and certainly voted against legalized abortion, always. You, um, you didn't drink alcohol. 
These, these were some of the boundaries that I remember were very, really emphasized that if you were going to be a Christian, these were the boundaries that you were expected to be within. And there would be times where we would discover that, you know, we thought that somebody who went to church, we learned that this person, you know, drank beer and, and slept with his girlfriend, and we'd think, well, we thought he was a Christian, but it turns out he's not a Christian because he's not living within the boundary. Now, I have not been a part of boundary-based churches in the years that have come since then. While I am appreciative of much of what I gained from my early teaching, I feel like I did gain a lot of understanding of the importance of living a life worthy of the calling. That is emphasized in uh, boundary-based churches, and I benefited quite a bit from that, and I think that's affected my development. But one of the things that I've come to be convinced of is that churches are healthiest when we are centered on Christ, when we are a center-based group and not a boundary-based group. I think Trinity is a church that really works hard to keep our focus on Christ and not on certain boundaries. We disagree about certain boundaries, but we try to be a center-based group. And I think that's one of the messages that Paul is emphasizing with the Philippians. He seems to want them to stay focused on their center, to stay focused on Christ, and not be taken astray, led off, uh, distracted by the things that divide. He starts off, he gives a lot of advice. This is a very dense passage here, and he gives a lot of advice to the church. He starts by saying to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord always. He begins by reminding them, rejoice, take joy in the Lord. The word rejoice literally means to join joy. It is to attach ourselves to joy. And it strikes me that often, you know, we rejoice in very small quantities. We, we rejoice, you know, at a wedding. We'll go, and, and it's, that's a happy time at a baptism. We rejoice in those certain, certain moments in time where there's real rejoicing. But Paul seems to want the church to do a lot more rejoicing. He wants them to delight in the Lord. He reminds them to be gentle with one another, which is very good advice when there is conflict. Being gentle with one another, it's so easy to drop into personal criticisms, to questioning motives. He tells them to be gentle with one another and to remember that the Lord is near. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison, and there's a very real possibility that he may be, he may be killed very soon. And, of course, in a very—probably through torture. You know, he's, he is— he is in a place where life is very uncertain, and the church knows it, and so does he. And yet he tells them, rejoice, be gentle, remember the Lord is near. And that matters, because he may be with the Lord very soon. And then he goes on to say the only negative thing, he said, the only don't, he says in this entire passage, this passage is full of advice, but it's all what to do rather than what not to do with the exception of worry. He says, don't worry about anything. And I think that is a pretty amazing statement. Don't worry about anything. I mean, you know, there's some things we worry about that are trivial and don't matter. 
but let's be let's be honest. I mean, we worry about I I'm you know, if I could see the bubbles over some of your heads, I'm sure that some of you are worried about things that really seem worthy of worry. I mean, there's some real things in terms of our people we love, in terms of our country, in terms of this world. There are some very real things that feel like they are worthy of worry. But Paul is telling the Philippian church, at least, don't worry about anything. But instead, here's what you do instead of worry. Instead, we are to bring our concerns to God. We are to bring those concerns to pray with supplication. Supplication is pleading. It is, it is bringing your requests. It is, it is um, advocating for a particular position. We are to bring our needs to God. And... And we're to do it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving requires us to remember. We are thankful because we remember something that has happened. When we pray with thanksgiving, we pray remembering God has been faithful to us in the past. We remember the ways that God has been answering prayers in the past. We remember healing that has taken place. We remember reconciliation that has occurred. Ben Pierce talked with us last week about the touch beyond reach, the things that God has done, the healing that God has done that we never thought would happen. And, and it is good to remember as we pray, as we bring our petitions, as we plead before God to remember God's faithfulness, that God has, is capable of taking these concerns and bringing about real change. And then he says the, the peace, the peace of Christ, which surpasses understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is something that we all long for. It, is, it really is a very deep human longing, I think, that longing for peace. Peace within ourselves, peace in our relationships, peace in the world, peace, ultimately peace with God. We have a deep longing for peace, and yet it doesn't seem, I don't know about you, but I don't have a huge amount of experience with the peace that passes understanding. I have quite a bit of experience with worry. That I'm, I'm pretty good at, but this peace that passes understanding, that I'm less familiar with, but I have experienced it in small quantities, and I would like to experience it more and I feel like one of the things that I'm learning as I've spent quite a lot of time in this passage over the last few weeks is to practice that breathing out and breathing in of prayer, that I am to pray about everything. I'm to bring everything to God and to leave it with God, to breathe out my anxieties, to breathe out my needs, to breathe out my fears, to breathe in God's faithfulness, to breathe in God's trustworthiness, to, to rejoice, to breathe in the rejoicing in the Lord. There is this breathing out and breathing in that Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to do, and I think it's a good practice for us. And one of the things that I've started to do, and I just offer it to you to the extent that it's helpful, is I actually have begun to, in my in my prayer time, to actually practice physically that breathing, breathing out and breathing in intentionally and imagining, sort of breathing out the cares that I bring, the concerns that I bring, and breathing in that um, the peace of Christ. 
I, I'm sure somebody who knows more about medicine than I do could explain why it is that deep breathing exercises actually physically do relax us. There's, I'm sure there's a physiological reason for that. But there's also sort of this spiritual practice of the breathing out and breathing in that Paul seems to be encouraging. And then he goes on <clears throat> to tell us that to, to give some further advice about focusing our attention on what unites us rather than what divides us. He gives us an instruction about what we should think about. And so his, his, his instruction is not specifically just about prayer, but it's actually sort of about our thought life. He says in this, in this section, which probably some of you have memorized, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Well, I don't know what you spend time thinking about, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this list. As a matter of fact, if I wrote this, it would be, you know, what, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever bugs you, whatever is, should be criticized, if there's anything uh, you know, worthy of critique, think about these things. That's, as we used to say in college, that's in first deviations. <laughs> I, Paul wants us to fill our minds with the things that uplift, the things that unite, the things that help us focus on Christ, and not on the things that pull us away. It is a breathing in of the right kinds of focus. And again, Paul's facing his own mortality. He's in prison. This is, some of this advice seems like it belongs on a Hallmark card. You know, it seems a little too sugary sweet, and, you know, isn't that nice, so don't worry about anything, you know, think about the good things, keep your mind on positive. You know, it sounds a little bit Pollyanna. But you, when, you, when you remember that where Paul is when he's writing this, he gains some credibility. You know, he is trying to get the church to remember the things that will help them grow towards their center. And then finally, he gives them this final advice, which I almost didn't include because I find it a little bit embarrassing. I sort of feel like this is the piece that causes us to realize that Paul has a pretty healthy ego. You know, he tells them here to keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Once again, he wants them to have peace. And he's sort of saying, you know, remember my example. Remember all the things I've taught you. And part of me feels like, oh, gosh, Paul, you know, that seems a little self-absorbed to say that. But one of the things I've taken away from this is remembering that Paul was very important to the church. Um, They needed him, and he may not be around for very much longer. And it occurred to me that we all need spiritual leaders. We all need mentors. It's not always easy to find people who are further along down the path of faith than we are. It's not always easy to find people who bring a greater depth and a greater maturity to to the spiritual life than we currently have. But we need those people. We need to find them. And they do exist, and they exist in this church. And we need to have people who, in our lives, who help us grow towards Christ, who help us mature in our faith. We need to find people who are further along down the path and spend time with them and learn from them. 
That's one of the things that Paul seemed to be encouraging the Philippians to do, and I think it's good advice for us. So as we learn to pray in a, in a breathing-type lifestyle, to trust God more, to experience more of God's faithfulness, my hope is that we continue to keep our eyes on Christ. We continue to remember that we are people who share a common center, and that is Jesus Christ, that we live a life that causes us to increasingly grow towards our center and to rejoice along the way. Amen.